0: Good morning, this is 5 at 8. Today's Tuesday, August 15th, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about air raid sirens being activated across Ukraine due to a Russian missile threat, Swiss bank UBS settling fraud claims related to the 2008 financial crisis, the devastating wildfires in Hawaii that have claimed at least 96 lives, China suspending the release of youth unemployment rates amid economic challenges, and vice media facing accusations of blocking news stories to appease the Saudi government. Stay tuned for all the latest news of the day. Story number one. Air raid sirens were activated across Ukraine as the Air Force warned of a Russian missile threat. As reported by Al Jazeera, explosions were heard in the western region of Lviv, but it is unclear whether they were caused by air defense systems or Russian weaponry. The governor of Lviv urged people to seek shelter, stating that missiles were heading towards the region. The Ukrainian Air Force warned that western regions of the country were at risk of missile attacks. Explosions were also reported in the Komelnitsky region. It's quite concerning, Linda. The situation in Ukraine seems to be escalating with reports of missiles being launched by Russia. Do you think this could signify a significant ramping up of Russian military action against Ukraine?
1: Yes, Mark, it's an extremely troubling development. The activation of air raid sirens across Ukraine and the reported explosions, particularly in the western region of Lviv, indicate a notable escalation in Russia's military aggression. It suggests that Russia is not limiting its actions to the eastern regions of Ukraine, which have been the primary focus of their aggression thus far. This could potentially signify an intention to exert greater military pressure on Ukraine.
0: I see. And what would you say could be the potential motivations driving Russia's actions here? I mean, why would they risk escalating the conflict in such a direct and dangerous manner?
1: There could be multiple factors at play, Mark. It's possible that Russia is attempting to test Ukraine's defense capabilities, or trying to exert increased pressure on the Ukrainian government. It's also plausible that Russia might be trying to provoke a stronger response from the international community, particularly from NATO countries. However, it's important to note that these are speculations, and without explicit statements or insights from Russian authorities, it's hard to definitively determine their motivations.
0: That's a fair point, Linda. And, uh, how effective do you think Ukraine's defense measures have been so far in repelling these attacks? And of course what might this mean for ukrainian citizens living near the borders
1: as per the reports ukraine's air defense systems have been engaged but it's too early to assess their overall effectiveness it's a challenging situation particularly for the citizens living near the borders the constant threat of missile attacks and air raids is likely causing significant distress and fear it's a stark reminder that behind these military maneuvers are real people whose lives are being disrupted and put at risk
0: Absolutely. It's always important to remember the human cost in these situations. Now, how do you anticipate the international community responding to this escalation? I mean, countries bordering Ukraine must be feeling pretty on edge right now.
1: Yes. Countries bordering Ukraine, particularly those in the European Union and NATO, are likely to be very concerned. They're expected to continue calling for a de-escalation and for Russia to respect Ukraine's territorial integrity. There could also be discussions about increasing sanctions against Russia or providing further support to Ukraine. However, the situation is very fluid and the international response could evolve as the situation unfolds.
0: Story number two. Swiss bank UBS has agreed to pay $1.4 billion to settle fraud claims in the U.S. related to the 2008 financial crisis, as reported by the BBC. The settlement brings an end to the last case brought by U.S. prosecutors investigating banks' conduct leading up to the crisis, which caused a global downturn. Prosecutors alleged that UBS had lied about the quality of mortgages packaged and sold to investors in 2006 to 2007. UBS did not admit or deny the claims, but stated that it had already set aside money for the settlement. This settlement serves as a warning to other financial institutions about the penalties that can result from misrepresenting information to investors. UBS is the 18th firm to reach a settlement in the US over its role in the crisis, with over $36 billion in penalties imposed on banks and ratings firms. The financial crisis was triggered by global banks' exposure to bad US mortgages, leading to the collapse of major banks and a severe economic downturn. Tell you what, Linda. This UBS case is a classic example of the long arm of justice, isn't it? They're shelling out a whopping $1.4 billion to settle fraud claims from the 2008 crisis. I mean, it's about time these banks take responsibility for their role in the crash.
1: That's true, Mark. It's been a long time coming. But it's important to remember that these settlements are not just about punishing these banks for past misdeeds. They're also a way of holding these institutions accountable and reminding them of their duty to act ethically and transparently.
0: You hit the nail on the head. It's a major warning shot to financial institutions, big and small. They've got to play by the rules or face the consequences. But, you know, I can't help but wonder if these penalties are enough of a deterrent. After all, UBS, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, they're all still in business, aren't they?
1: You raise a good point, Mark. It does beg the question of whether these monetary penalties are truly effective in preventing such crises in the future. After all, these are multi-billion-dollar corporations. Is a billion-dollar fine really going to change their behavior? Or are we simply treating the symptoms of a much deeper problem within our financial system?
0: Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Or should I say billion-dollar question? But seriously, I think you're onto something there, Linda. It's not just about the fines. We need to take a hard look at our financial regulations and see if they're doing enough to prevent these kinds of crises in the first place. The
1: 2008 financial crisis was a wake-up call that our regulatory system was not sufficient to prevent such a catastrophe. It's been over a decade since then, and we need to ask ourselves, have we learned our lesson? Or are we doomed to repeat the same mistakes?
0: Story number three. At least 96 people have died in massive wildfires in Hawaii, with officials predicting that the death toll will continue to rise as search efforts continue. The fires the deadliest in the U.S. in over a century, have displaced thousands of survivors and destroyed much of the historic town of Lahaina. The exact cause of the fires is still unknown, but dry weather, high winds, and the effects of climate change are believed to have contributed. Many residents reported not receiving any warnings about the approaching fires, and there have been power and mobile service outages. Emergency shelters have been opened for displaced individuals, and President Joe Biden has pledged resources to assist Hawaii. In a report from Al Jazeera, it is stated that the Maui blaze is the deadliest U.S. wildfire since 1918. It's absolutely devastating, Linda, to hear about the wildfires in Hawaii. Now, we know wildfires have become increasingly frequent due to climate change, but I'm struggling to understand how something this catastrophic could happen in a state like Hawaii, which is known for its tropical climate. Can you shed some light on this?
1: It's a complex issue. While Hawaii is indeed a tropical paradise, it's not immune to the effects of climate change. You see, global warming is causing weather patterns to shift and become more extreme, and this includes periods of dryness and high winds, which are the perfect conditions for wildfires. The storm, Hurricane Dora, passing through the area likely exacerbated these conditions.
0: That's alarming. And what's more concerning is the lack of adequate warning before the disaster struck. Residents were taken by surprise. How did that happen?
1: Yes, it's concerning indeed. Hawaii has a sophisticated network of sirens to alert residents about potential disasters. However, in this case, power and mobile service outages likely hampered these alerts. Also, the rapid advancement of the fires propelled by the wind made it difficult to give timely warnings. The governor has ordered a review of the state's response. So hopefully, they'll find ways to improve the system.
0: So what we're seeing here is a failure of infrastructure in the face of extreme weather conditions exacerbated by climate change. And looking at the aftermath, the displacement of thousands of survivors, it's clear there's a need for better disaster preparedness and response strategies. What's being done on that front, Linda?
1: Well, Mark, FEMA and aid groups have opened emergency shelters for the displaced. FEMA has also activated a program to move people from shelters to hotels. The Red Cross is helping connect residents with housing resources. These are immediate response measures, but there's a long road to recovery ahead. And you're right. This tragedy underscores the critical need for better climate change adaptation and disaster preparedness strategies to prevent such incidents in the future.
0: Right, Linda. The urgency for a global initiative to manage climate change and protect our planet and its citizens has never been greater. We need to ensure that we're not just reacting to disasters, but also proactively taking steps to mitigate risks and reduce the impact of such events.
1: It's a reminder that climate change is not a future problem. It's a present crisis. And dealing with it requires global cooperation, innovative solutions, and most importantly, An unwavering commitment to protecting our planet and its people.
0: Story number four. China has announced that it will suspend the release of youth unemployment rates as the country faces economic challenges, as reported by The Guardian. In June, youth unemployment reached a record high of 21.3%. The National Bureau of Statistics stated that it would no longer provide age-specific unemployment data citing the need to improve labor force survey statistics. This decision comes as China's post-COVID rebound fades, and economic indicators show a slowdown. The central bank has cut interest rates to stimulate growth, but experts are calling for a larger recovery plan. Weak economic indicators for July, including lower retail sales and industrial production, suggest that China may struggle to achieve its 5% growth target for the year. Is this a classic case of hiding the bad news or what? China's decision to suspend the release of youth unemployment rates, it's, it's curious to say the least, especially since their youth unemployment hit a record 21.3% in June.
1: Curious indeed, Mark. This decision raises serious questions about information transparency. Reliable data is essential for both domestic and international stakeholders to make informed decisions. It's a bit, well, unsettling.
0: Transparency is the lifeblood of a healthy economy. And look, I'm all for countries having the right to govern their own affairs, but this, this just smells fishy. It's like they're trying to hide something.
1: It does seem that way, doesn't it? Historically, when governments withhold or manipulate data, it's often a sign of underlying economic issues. Remember Greece back in 2009? The misreporting of their financial data led to the Eurozone crisis.
0: Oh, I remember that all too well. It's a sobering reminder of what can happen when governments aren't upfront about their economic realities. But let's not jump to conclusions, though. Maybe there's a valid reason behind China's move. They cited the need to further improve and optimize labor force survey statistics.
1: Yes, they did. But the timing and the context make it hard not to be skeptical. With the central bank cutting a key interest rate to boost growth and a slew of disappointing economic figures, the outlook doesn't look too bright. And then suspending the release of a key economic indicator? It's hard to not see a correlation.
0: You've hit the nail on the head there, Linda. And it's not just the youth unemployment rate. Retail sales are down, industrial production is slowing, overall unemployment is creeping up. The big question now is, can they reach their 5% growth target for the year? A question indeed, Mark.
1: And it's not just about China. It's a reminder for all economies about the importance of transparent and reliable economic indicators. Especially in times like these, when the world is still grappling with the effects of COVID. A healthy global economy needs trust and transparency, not just domestically but internationally too.
0: Story number five. Vice Media has been accused of blocking news stories that could offend the Saudi government, raising concerns about the company's editorial independence. According to The Guardian, sources claim that Vice has censored its western-facing news content in order to protect its staff working on contracts in Saudi Arabia. The media company recently signed a lucrative partnership deal with the Saudi government-controlled MBC Group to establish a joint venture in the country. The influx of money from Saudi Arabia has led to fears that Vice is prioritizing financial interests over reporting on human rights abuses in the kingdom. The company's expansion in Saudi Arabia has also led to changes in its London office, including the removal of a photograph of the Sarah Everard Memorial protest and its replacement with a map of Saudi Arabia. Vice's joint venture with the Saudi-backed publisher is part of its strategy to shift away from news and focus on lifestyle content. Have you ever seen something like this, Linda? A media company allegedly censoring their own content to not offend a country they have business ties with. It seems like a clear conflict of interest, doesn't it?
1: Yes, Mark. It does seem concerning. While it's not an unheard-of phenomenon, this case with Vice Media and Saudi Arabia is certainly notable. In theory, editorial independence should be a cornerstone of any media outlet. However, when financial interests come into play, it can become a lot more complicated. Let's remember, Vice Media has signed a lucrative deal with Saudi government-controlled NBC Group. This raises questions about the potential influence of this partnership on their editorial decisions.
0: Quite a thorny issue, isn't it? But what about the safety of their staff working in Saudi Arabia? That was one reason given for pulling the content. Isn't that a valid concern?
1: Yes, Mark, the safety of journalists and media staff is crucial and cannot be overlooked. But, um, this situation also highlights the complex ethical quandaries media organizations sometimes find themselves in. How do you balance the safety of your staff with the responsibility to report objectively and fearlessly? It's not an easy question to answer. And it could also be asked why vice media decided to expand so aggressively in a country known for its restrictions on press freedom.
0: Right, right. And it's not just about vice media, is it? This could be seen as part of a wider trend of media outlets potentially swaying under financial or political pressure. What do you think can be done to safeguard journalistic independence, Linda?
1: That's a big question mark, and there's no one-size-fits-all answer. But transparency is key, for starters. Media organizations must be open about their financial ties and potential conflicts of interest. Strong institutional policies protecting editorial independence are also crucial, and it's important that these policies are not just words on paper, but are actively enforced. Additionally, journalists themselves have a role to play. They need to hold their organizations accountable and push for integrity in their reporting. Finally, the public, readers, and viewers need to be vigilant, critical consumers of news. They must demand and support independent, ethical journalism.
0: That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by Artificial Intelligence. For more information, visit Botcaster.ai.